Hi, this is Pastor Ryan Spooner. I'm so glad that you're listening to our sermon podcast. I hope it's a blessing. If you live in the area, or even if you don't, we would love to have you join us on a Sunday morning. We meet at 10.30 a.m. at the Millworks in Willington, Connecticut, 156 River Road. Also, if you'd ever like to help support our church financially, we would be extremely grateful. You can donate through our website, stpaulschurchct.org. Thanks. All right. Um, Track five in our Quick to Listen series. We've reached the final track, which makes me a little bit sad. I actually really enjoy doing this series, um, but I know this is probably not everybody's thing, so I didn't want it to go on too long. Um, But if you did enjoy this, just know I am hopeful that maybe we can make this like a yearly thing, maybe four weeks every year of of quick to listen, if if people seem supportive of that. Um, But for a lot of us, art is important, and it has this power to move us and to help us to encounter God. And so this series was all about um, using art in that way. We've... uh, We've been now uh, through uh, Silicone Boons, Found You, Florence and the Machines Free, The Innocence Missions, The Brotherhood of Man, and last week was the 77s, The Lust, The Flesh, The Eyes, and The Pride of Life. And this week's track is by a singer-songwriter named Carolyn Spence. And um, I'm going to be honest, I don't even really know who this is. So if you are all like, I don't know who that is, well, I'm the same way. She is a uh, Nashville-based singer-songwriter, and she has four albums that have come out, I think, since 2015. I haven't really listened to them. I do want to explore them at some point, because the song we're going to listen to is one that I like a lot. Um, This is one of those times where Spotify suggested a song to me based on my listening history, and I thought, wow, I love that. Um, and uh, as you guys know, if you've been here, the two qualifications for the songs that I've picked are I like them and they inspire a sermon. And this was one that when I heard it immediately was already doing both those things. I think Spotify suggested it to me because I really like this band called The National. Does anyone know The National? Okay. And um, the lead singer for The National, a guy named Matt Berninger, is featured in this song. Um, he has this kind of low, baritone, world-weary voice, uh, which I love that. Um, so you're going to hear that uh, in the song as well. So uh, let's be quick to listen. As always, we cannot stream copyrighted music over the live stream. So if you're watching on the live stream, in a moment, the audio is going to be muted. So make sure to click the link that will be provided so you can listen to the song. And if you're listening to this later on podcast, go to the show notes so that you can listen to the link provided there before you listen to the sermon. So if somebody could hit the lights, that would be awesome. Uh, This is I Know You Know Me by Carolyn Spence. All right. Love that song. So Carolyn Spence's official YouTube channel says this about that song. I Know You Know Me is a song about the complex beauty of being truly known by someone 
especially during times when you are feeling lost. Now, that song makes me think about how I am convinced that there are two desires very deep in every human heart. So one is to be fully known, and the other is to be fully loved. There is a part of us that really longs to be known by at least one other person. Not superficially, right, but known in our totality. The good, the bad, and the ugly. But the problem is that that desire is often in conflict with our second deep desire, to be fully loved. Because we think, well, if I'm fully known, then no one could fully love me. And so we feel a need to hide, at least some of the time. Just like Adam and Eve hiding from God in the Garden of Eden and trying to cover up after they sinned and ate from the forbidden tree. We feel this need to hide in order to be loved. But as we do that, there is a dissatisfaction in our souls because there's still that part of us that longs to be fully known. The best human relationships are the ones where we feel like we don't have to hide. We can be completely honest about who we are and at the same time have the goodwill and affection of the person that we are in relationship with and where both parties in that relationship feel completely able to do that. The best friendships are like that. The best marriages are like that. Now, I want to be clear about something. I'm not saying that the best relationships are the ones that tolerate abusive, evil behavior. Just want to be clear about that. Truly loving someone doesn't mean saying, oh, everything you do is perfect. Right? When we truly love someone, we desire for them to become everything that they are meant to be, everything that God intended. And true, obviously, that doesn't involve being in a, an abusive, terrible person. Right? So let's just be clear about that. But that caveat understood, I'll say it again, the best human relationships are the ones where we can be completely honest about who we are and still have the goodwill and affection of the one we are in relationship with. Relationships where we are fully known and fully loved. But here's what we need to realize. If the desire of our hearts is to be fully known and fully loved, the only one who can actually really do that is God. Human relationships can kind of approximate that. But the only one who could ever fully know us is God. Human beings can know us very well, but no human being can know another person in his or her totality, right? Even the people that we are closest to, we don't know fully. We don't know every detail of their past. We don't know their innermost thoughts. Even people who have been married for decades say, I'm still learning more about my spouse. If we're really paying attention, we'll realize that every person is a bottomless well of discovery. 
There's always more to know. But God knows us in our totality. Completely. Fully. Psalm 139 is a beautiful expression of this. This is one of the most uh, famous psalms, I think. Uh, It's commonly attributed to King David. The psalm says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. That means you encircle me, you surround me, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. It's a beautiful psalm. Now, Carolyn Spence's song reminds me of Psalm 139 in some ways. And I am not saying that she intended to write a song about God. I don't know. But I think the song actually works better sung to God than to any person. Let's look at that first verse. When I go out and try to walk alone, pretending I don't need a hand to hold... I'm hiding, but I know that you can see. I know you know me. She says, even if she tries to be alone, even if she tries to hide, there is this knowing presence that follows her, that sees her. That sounds a lot like the psalmist, right? Where can I go to flee from your spirit? The highest high to the lowest low. I I can't escape your knowing presence. We can't hide from God. God knows us even better than we know ourselves. Before a word is on our tongue, God knows it completely. Jesus said, even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. God knows how many there are. He has to count a lot higher for some of us than others, but he knows. Now, the idea that there is this all-knowing, all-seeing presence around us all the time, makes some people uncomfortable. And I think that you can hear both in the psalmist's words and in Carolyn Spence's words a little bit of discomfort with this this idea. Both seem to express a desire to hide at times from this all-seeing presence. 
There's some feelings, conflicted feelings. Um, the now deceased atheist and author Christopher Hitchens used to say that he didn't want God to exist because he thought if God existed, then the world would be like living in North Korea. Constant surveillance. And he said that made him feel uncomfortable. Well, I would be bothered by the all-knowing presence of God if I thought he was like the North Korean dictator. But he isn't. From what I know of the North Korean dictator, he might sentence someone to a cross, but he wouldn't be willing to hang on one for his people. And he might demand that his people wash his feet, but he's not interested in getting down on his knees and washing their feet. Jesus is very different from a North Korean dictator, very different from any dictator. He came to serve rather than to be served. He came to give his life for his enemies, not to take his enemies' lives. Big difference. And for that reason, the all-knowing presence of God can be a source of comfort rather than terror. That's what it should be. When Jesus said, the very hairs on your head are all numbered, it wasn't to scare his disciples. It was to reassure them. Right? Listen to the context for that line. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Two sparrows were only worth a penny. To put that in perspective, 30 pennies in those days would buy you a gallon of olive oil. Right? So one gallon of olive oil is worth 60 sparrows. Now, I can go to the store and buy a gallon of olive oil, and uh, it doesn't hurt the wallet too much. Right? That's worth 60 sparrows. But Jesus says that even though these sparrows aren't worth very much, monetarily speaking, God has his eye on all of them. Not one of them falls to the ground without his knowledge. So if that's the case, don't you realize how much he's concerned about you? You are worth so much more than those sparrows whom he also cares about. I like the second verse a lot. When I am drawing lines in the sand, you are that pulls the tide back in. What does that mean? Well, to draw a line in the sand is to draw a boundary and say, you shall not cross this line. You come any closer, and then I'm retaliating, right? But Carolyn says, when she tries to draw this line in the sand, there is someone who is like the moon who pulls the tide in. And what does the tide do? Well, it gets rid of the line, right? Not only does it cross the line, but when it crosses the line, crosses the line, it dissolves it, right? So, in other words, she's saying any attempts that she makes to hide from this person are are futile. If she draws that line in the sand, that person is still going to know her, right? Just like the psalmist says in Psalm 139, "Where can I go to flee from your spirit?" Where can I draw a line, God, that you cannot cross? Can't be done. 
When we try to draw lines in the sand, hiding who we truly are, God is the moon that pulls the tide back in, washing away that line. He knows us, and we can't change that. And then in the third verse... This is where Carolyn seems to recognize that there is this comfort that can come from being fully known. She says, no matter where the storm is in my mind, it'll never be a place that you can't find. You hold the candle, oh, you hold the key. I know you know me. The fact that we cannot escape the all-knowing, ever-seeing presence of God means that whatever storm is raging within us or around us is not unknown to God. God knows all the details of that, fully and completely. He knows the inner workings of our minds with all their stresses and all their anxieties. And because of that, God can meet us in whatever inner turmoil we're going through, and he can hold the candle or hold the key. In other words, he can hold the candle to guide us out of our mental darkness, right? Or he can can hold the key that unlocks the door of the mental prison that we're in. Because no one actually knows better what's going on within us better than God does. Do you have storms in your mind this morning? We all do sometimes. That lyric reminded me of the story of when Jesus and his disciples got caught in a storm while on a boat. It's a story that intends to teach us something about how Jesus relates to the storms in our lives. And we all have them, right? Storms in our minds, storms in our surroundings, both literal and figurative. Think of this story that we're about to read as representing any frightening circumstance that is beyond your control. Okay? Think of the storm as representing any frightening circumstance beyond your control. We all encounter those every day, to some degree. Stories from uh, Mark 4, starting in verse 37. A furious, furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Here's the question that I have after reading that story. Why does Jesus seem disappointed in the disciples? Right? He doesn't just rebuke the wind and the waves in that story. He, he does rebuke the disciples too. Why are you so afraid? I mean, when I think about it, I think, well, they were in a terrifying situation beyond their control. And what did they do? They went to Jesus. Yes, they were afraid, they were scared, but at least they had enough faith to go to Jesus, right? So, why's Jesus giving them a hard time? What did they do wrong? Maybe another way to put it is, what would Jesus have preferred that they do? Well, here's what I think Jesus would have preferred. Instead of his disciples freaking out, shaking Jesus awake, 
Nobody likes to be woken up when they're sleeping, right? Instead of his disciples shaking him awake and accusing him of not caring, he probably would have preferred if they reasoned like this. This is a bad storm that we're in. Scary. But the teacher is with us. He's in the storm too. He's right here with us. So we don't have to be afraid. And he's sleeping right now. So let's follow his lead. Let's go take a nap. When we wake up, probably be over. Jesus was able to sleep through the storm. Maybe that's what he wanted his disciples to do too. Jesus wants us to develop a level of faith where we're able to find rest even in the midst of the storm. Jesus doesn't want us to react to every storm with this frantic, desperate plea, end the storm, end it now. He wants us to trust him enough to find rest even in the midst of the storm. To trust that even if that storm is raging, we can rest because he is there. Because he is there, and he knows us fully, and he loves us fully. Now, eventually a day will come where Jesus says, Quiet, be still, to all of the storms. And we look forward to that day. That is part of what we confess every time we say the Apostles' Creed, and we say he will come again to judge the living and the dead. But we don't know when that day will come. And as we wait, Jesus doesn't want us to be frantic. He doesn't want us to be terrified. He doesn't want us to be filled with anxiety. He wants us to be able to rest because we know that he's there. He is with us in the boat of life. He went so far as to come down from heaven, take on flesh, and dwell among us. That's how with us he is in the boat of life. And not only is he with us in life's boat, he's even with us in death. Right? When the psalmist says, where can I go to flee from your spirit? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. That word for depths is sheol, which was the Hebrew word for the grave. Right? So the psalmist was saying, even if I die, even if that boat the disciples were on sunk and they drown, even then we cannot escape the all-knowing, all-seeing, loving presence of God. Jesus, when he died on the cross, he went down to the depths, to the realm of the dead, so that even death might not separate us from him. He is with us. And because he is with us fully and completely, he knows us fully and completely, and he loves us fully. And so we can rest in the storm. So here's how I want to close. I just want to encourage us all, take a moment right now to identify a storm in your life right now. You may be in a smooth sailing period, if that's true, awesome, that's great. It's not going to last too long. <laughs> but if you are, I'm happy for you. But most of us probably have got something going on right now. Um, 
So just think of what that is, whatever is causing inner turmoil, whatever external circumstances are feeling stormy, identify that. And then remind yourself of this. Jesus knows every single detail about that. He knows everything about the storm around you and everything about the storm in you. Nothing escapes his notice. And whatever storm is going on, it is not eternal. God is eternal, but that storm is not eternal. When the time is right, Jesus will say, quiet, be still. But until then, Jesus is giving you an invitation. Rest. Take a nap. Let your soul rest. There is a peace available in this storm. Because there is a God who knows you and loves you completely. Lord, I pray that those would not just be words, but that they would be a, a truth that your Holy Spirit impresses on each one of us this morning. Help us to recognize, just like the psalmist did, that you are there, that there is nowhere we can go to flee from you, that you have authority and power over every storm, and that there is a peace to be found in the midst of the storm. Help us to know it and experience it through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.